Anita, how's your mental health? <laughs> Questionable <laughs> at all times. You know this. Yeah. How's the mental health of your children? Um, also a little bit tricky. Can I tell you my experience in trying to find therapists for myself and my kids, Mel? Yes, please. Okay. This is how it goes. You ask around your friends and your family for a referral for somebody who's nearby. You finally find somebody who sounds like they might work for your family. You give them a call and you find out that A, they're not accepting new patients or B, they have a huge wait list. So you start over again and you ask people if they know anybody who would be a good therapist and a good fit. Finally, you find one, you go and you meet with them and you figure out that you don't actually like them that much. But it's been so much work to find somebody who you can go to in your area that you're kind of stuck with them. Well, do you have any ideas for how to get around this? Um, I do, because guess what? I've actually had some therapists that I have found on my own, which involves what you're saying. Sometimes I remember one time I was like three hours in the bathtub on my phone looking through yeah. websites. I was such a prune at the end. But I have also had the experience with working with BetterHelp and it was like, I, I don't want to say too good to be true, but because it is true, but it's like amazing because I was matched with my therapist within 24 hours. And you didn't have to go through all of that other ridiculous process of trying to find somebody. And here's the cool thing too, is if that person didn't work out for you, you can just switch and say, and it's not like you're committing to another years long search for somebody who you're going to jive with. It's true. And I lucked out or maybe just BetterHelp is really good at matching people together because I never had to change my therapist. I loved her. Perfect fit for me. And I know that some of our friends have used BetterHelp and they've had to change therapists and boom, same day can change. Easy peasy. You can ghost your therapist. <laughs> Get a new one. I love this idea. BetterHelp is one of our sponsors. If you use our promo code, trybetterhelp.com slash WWDN, you get 10% off your first month and we totally recommend it. Yes. Get some therapy. That's <laughs> trybetterhelp.com slash WWDN. Boo. Ah! Did I scare you? Totally. I knew it. Yeah. But now I don't have the hiccups anymore. Good. What's happening? I am kind of not a happy camper. Okay, well, that's very normal. It's I'm a less happy camper than I even normally am. What's I happening? I've had a bad, like, week. I don't Dang even it. know. I know. It's like I hate my kids, and they're just not nice to me. And then when I'm in a bad mood, then it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. And last night was terrible. I was, like, crying until I was, like, throwing up. What? I know. I was so upset. Dang. I know. And it makes me mad because I felt like, this is going to sound stupid, but, like, I was past that kind of being upset. So when it happened again, it was like it had been pent up in me all week and then it just, like, released. I was like, dang it, I thought that we were done with that kind of emotion that level of upset. That but, grief is a sneaky character. I know. What a it's jerk. so hard. But um, two good things happened this week. You want to hear about them? Yeah. Numero uno is that I am now officially vaccinated. Ooh. And, and will be turning into a zombie soon, if not already. 
Did you feel sick after the second shot at all? So it was weird. I didn't think I felt sick. But then one night I was playing volleyball and I couldn't catch my breath, which is not normal for playing volleyball, even though like I play actual serious volleyball and my heart rate was super high and I was like sweating profusely and I was like, I'm not okay. And I think that was from the vaccine. But my coworkers all had terrible symptoms. So mine weren't so bad. I will say. But that was the first good thing. And the second good thing that happened, which was also a mystery, is that my son won his class spelling bee, which is so funny. Because why? He can't spell. (laughs) Should we be worried about the other children in the class if he is the one that won? No, I think it was just, I keep saying that there was like a rip in the space-time continuum. I think things just fell together perfectly for him to be able to win like he only got two words right and i think he just guessed completely and happened to get them right and then the other kids got their words wrong i don't know but his teacher sends me an email that says anita i hope you're sitting down ollie just won the the spelling bee and i'm like what and he has many great characteristics and talents like yelling as we just heard very strong lungs There is a tussle going on outside the door. Maybe maybe his skill set is also in the wrestling vein or yeah. boxing. He's more of a bouncer type. You know, he's an enforcer. So that's what's going on right now. But uh, anyway, spelling is generally not his forte. But he... Oh, someone's um, Legos are broken. Yes. And so it's World War. Maybe he's going to grow up to be a cop. I have nothing to say about that. (laughs) Okay. Well, let's move on then. So that's where I am. I'm in the cave. I'm feeling pretty upset about this solo parenting gig and this widow business. And uh, I'm just going to keep putting one foot in front of the other and doing the best I can. But Anita, I mean, Jason's in a better place and God needed him. How do you feel about that when I say I'm that to you? I'm flipping you off right now. That's what I'm doing, but nobody can see That's why no one it. should ever say that. <laughs> Mel, you've had a bad week too. Holy smokes, you guys. Must and be I like know, the lunar cycle or something. I know a lot of people that have had a really terrible week this yeah. week. I think this one is pretty bad. My good friend that is a fellow piano player, basically a savant. I don't use that term lightly. Like, he definitely was a musical genius and genius in other aspects of his life. He's 37. He got COVID. He was recovering. He died on Monday. Hmm. And it's the worst. And, of course, he left behind a widow. Who's my friend? Her name's Jazzy. Some of our Widow Wives members already know this situation because I posted about it last night in the group because she's just dealing with all the things. I mean, it's been six days. I guess by the time this comes out, seven days, a whole week since he's passed away and she's feeling it all. And she's realizing quickly that the support is going to be really helpful to have other widows in her corner and sending words of support. So yeah, a lot of stuff's going on. I am playing for the funeral this upcoming weekend. That's a nut. You're 
You are breaking your funeral rule left and right. You guys, I told myself no more funerals ever again. And now all these people are dying and they're like my bandmates. And this this particular guy, we went to college together. We were the two pianists together. It was always us two. We got awards together. Like they always, if there was something like an arts fest, like our state had an arts festival. If we if we both submitted, we always split it. They couldn't choose between both of us. And so we we always did stuff together, like in, in the musician community, right? I mean, and this is I know this is not my husband, of course, like my friend Jazzy is suffering greatly, but it is it's been pretty eye-opening to me just how much this friend has been in my head every day. Every time I play the piano, every single time I'm always trying to see how I can be more creative or whatever. And and I think back to what he would do it's like what would Courtney do that's his name and even the day that he died I was teaching a lesson this is before I found out and or I had an idea pop into my head about um a chord exercise and I'm like oh yeah I remember Courtney Courtney told me that he would do that with his students I'm gonna try it every time I play every time I teach it's like we were so intertwined musically and had this fun like banter kind of going back and forth with who's your favorite pianist and he's always like mouse or I'm like oh Courtney, you are, he's like a music god. So I just don't even know what to say about all this death, Anita. It's just so much. And so many young people too. So that's, that's kind of been what I've been dealing with this week, trying to help Jazzy, his girlfriend. And, and of course she's in the situation where she was his longtime girlfriend. They're not married. And so my mission this week for her to help her has been for the people that I know and we're in shared communities to kind of help pave the way for her so it people are treating her as the widow and not as like some random girl yeah that he dated like they were together they were soulmates they were together longer than Scott and I were together so uh operation widow is in full force and then operation try to pay respect to my friend that just died is also in full force so the music community has been hit hard again and I- I feel like it's such, this is such a weird, COVID has been such a weird time because people have been dying of normal, normal, quote unquote, normal things that would not have been, that would have happened even had COVID not been here. But then people are dying of COVID and then COVID has become so weird, like political and weird. And I think it's got to be so hard to have somebody who dies of that in today's climate. Um and then you have lost the su- the normal social support structure of death has also been thrown into chaos and so i i think it's just got to be extra hard right now to lose somebody to covid in a pandemic where you can't have the normal support exactly and we know that there are statistics that and correct me if i'm wrong um the african american communities and hispanic communities have been hit harder Yes. For some reason, my friend yeah. is African American. I don't get it. I, it's it's tough, and and I really feel for my friend's mom because it was either last year or the year before her husband died suddenly. So now she has a dead husband, and and Courtney is her only child. Oh. So there's a lot going on, and it's yeah, rough. You know what is so funny? Ha ha! Not funny. What? Death funny. Remember, Anita, on Monday when I texted you and I told you about my friend and then I told you about Jazzy, his widow. And Mm -hmm. I'm like, I don't even know what to do. And I've been through this. (laughs) 
And it's like, you guys, it's it's like every time there's a this is why it's not formulaic. Like we think, okay, maybe the next time someone dies, like I can help better. And you can yeah. always help better. But the the things that I thought of were are I go, are you with your family? Yes. Make sure that somebody is keeping like monitoring you for water intake and bringing you water and the other thing is get sleeping pills and i'll check on you tomorrow yeah it's so that's all you can do right you can't fix anything and then i texted you mel remember we did a whole episode on this so refer back to that and give her that information (laughs) i will Actually, what I did is I sent it to our mutual friend who's been kind of her. Uh, the go-between. She's not a widow, but she's, yeah, she helped me when Scott died, and she's also friends in this situation. It was in, actually, Courtney's band, so. Oh, the troops have been assembled, and. We ride out at midnight. With with Z-Quil and, <laughs> and water. And, and Xanax. <laughs> yes. So, oh, anyway, and for those in the widow wives that that sent support and really kind comments. Thank you. It was really like overwhelming to see the support that our community has given to somebody that's just six, almost seven days out. Yeah. So bummer. Can remember those. Well, kind of remember. It's also kind of like, I know it's like you're in a blender, but yeah, even though that's been really terrible and I've had my own grief from it and then trying to help Jazzy, whose grief is of course immense. There was something amazingly hilarious that happened one week ago today. (laughs) Can we talk about it, please? Yes. It was hilarious for Mel. It's not as hilarious for me. (laughs) We had just gotten done recording our intro for last week's podcast. And I was going upstairs and just getting a snack. And then I came back downstairs and I was going to edit. Just hanging out. And then I heard the doorbell ring. Well, I have dogs right? And they're big dogs and they get excited about the doorbell. So I took them outside and I went in the other room and I told my mom somebody was at the door so she should get the door because I'm a hermit. Nobody's going to come see me and I also don't want to see anybody. And then I hear my mom calling for me. She said, you have a visitor. And I was like, who is it? Is it Anita? She's the only one that visits me. (laughs) It kind of was Anita. It was a very short version of Anita that was male and four years old. And he had come to my house to see me. And lo and behold, it was Anita's youngest. And Anita didn't know that he had left to go visit Mel. So remember, if you remember back to our first podcast, Mel and I grew up near each other. So we were having dinner at my parents' house. And my youngest, who is four, left the dinner table And apparently walked out the door and up the street to Mel's house and knocked on the door for a visit. And I was just eating my mashed potatoes in blissful ignorance when I got a FaceTime from Mel. And she said, hey, I have a visitor here. I'm like, what? Oh, so then I got in the car and drove up there. And uh, my four-year-old was having a grand time. He didn't want to leave. He was playing with all the toys and the animals and I uh, wanted to watch some TV. And he kind of just ran around the house in circles, twirling around. And, and I'm like, what are we going to do? Do you want to hang out? Yeah, I just came to hang out. Should I get the dogs out? Yeah. I want to see the dogs. Yeah. Then he'd get the dogs out. Then he'd run downstairs. I want to take off my socks. Like, okay, I guess we're hanging out. 
<laughs> I got it all on video. Anita has the video. I think you posted it. Yeah, it was I great. It on my, and then she um, came to the door very unhappy. And this then, is why the police get called on me, you guys, because he runs away. And I didn't even know that he knew where Mel lived. The fact that he knows where you live was kind of mind boggling to me. But apparently he knows where you live. He's a smart dude. But the story doesn't end there. And it would have been funny. Ha ha. Um, I told him that he had to come back to grandma and grandpa's with me or else he couldn't have any ice cream. And at first he said, I don't want ice cream. And we tried to convince him, like, this is green ice cream. You he want this. Green. It took green. a couple times, right? Yes. So then we went back to my parents' house and he said, I'm here for my ice cream. And my parents said, you can't have any ice cream because they were teaching him consequences for running away. So he turned around and ran right out the door. Doesn't have a coat on. This is January in Utah. Ran right back out the door. By the time I got out the door after him, I could not see where he went. And it was getting dark, right? It was, yeah, it was about 15 minutes away from being fully dark. So I'm texting Mel, you know, have you seen him? Did he come back up there? He didn't come back up there. Uh, I'm trying to think of all of the places that he knows around there. And he doesn't, at my house, when he goes missing, it's not so stressful because he knows all of the houses. The neighbors all know him. He knows how to get back home. But at my parents' house, he knows not as many streets and things like that. So it got to the point where I was like panicking and I was really close to calling the police because he was just missing and my parents had gone out to search for him. My kids were all searching. My sister went out searching for him and my sister eventually found him and he had walked about a full block away and he was on the busy road that's by my parents' house with no coat on, freezing. And that was terrifying. So... That was the end of that story. Is it ethical to give children a microchip? No, I totally want one of those. It's probably not ethical, but I need one. For yeah, him. because I mean, even if you put a shoe tracker on him, he doesn't wear a shoe sometimes. I know he takes them off. It has so, to be implanted. Yeah, it's the only that kind of set. That was like the set off of my week that turned out to just be like, I am in over my head and I don't want to be doing this anymore. And can somebody take these kids away from me? Karen from Canada, you said you wanted number four. Please help. Thank you. He would go to Canada and he would walk outside without his coat on and he would turn into an instant popsicle. He'd be like, I don't know my Uncle Tico. But I'm channeling him. <laughs> With his shorts on. So that was our fun. Number four goes to visit his fake stepmom Mel. Yes. Story. That was entertaining at first and then became scary. Yes. The end. Hopefully your weeks have been going a little better than our weeks. Um, I hope that you guys have had some good things happening. If not, we're right there with you. It's time now to do our patron shout out. First, we're going to shout out our dead husbands. Our first dead husband would like us to say... You got this, widows. Keep going. And then we have Kat. Ivan Meisner. Don Satterwhite. Katie Koontz. And David Kelly. Thanks, guys. And then we'll move over to our widow wives and widow besties. We have Tammy Schwartz. Marie Hoffman. Lori Farrington. Emily Thornton. Joy Kirsch, the fancy lady. Jamie Aliota. Christina Scambato. Shannon Helm. 
the oldest sister, Marjorie Lewis, Black Wendy, Ashley Hahn, Kara Scara, Jenny Taylor, Mum Mum, your name is Sylvia, Karen from Canada, come take number four, Karen, Rachel Barbosa, Ileana Bell Ruiz, Anna Tracy, Gabe Lozano, Aaron Posick, Jenny Barrow, Christine Anderson, Diana Becker, and da, 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 Sarah, Sarah Morris. Thank you to everybody who supports us. Just a quick reminder, if you have not rated and reviewed our podcast, go do it right now. It makes Anita happy, and she is not happy right now, ever, actually. Sometimes we assume that unless we had a huge life insurance payout, we don't really need to know anything about investments or even finances. But guess what? A little knowledge of finances is critical for all of us. Maybe your partner was in charge of that stuff and now you find yourself making all the decisions. Maybe you're mad about that. Maybe I am. Nicole from the He's Gone But The Money's Not podcast is here to help. She tackles financial literacy by telling the stories of women and widows and finance experts and shares the lessons they've learned as certified financial planners. Whether you know a lot and feel confident in your financial decisions or feel unsure about all of that stuff, there is more to learn. Listen and subscribe to the He's Gone But Then The Money's Not podcast on all podcast platforms. This ad was paid for by Rock House Financial, an SEC-registered investment advisor. That's okay. Yep. I am happy sometimes. Yeah. Just not right now. Uh, Coming up, we've got a great episode for you. So remember to check out our Patreon if you want to join and get a Patreon patron shout out. And other fancy things. And other fancy things like video cards and behind the scenes. And also you can buy us a taco at buymeacoffee.com slash widow. Widow we do do now. now. There's so much screaming in the background. (laughs) (laughs) I'm excited about our guest today. Yes, let's get right to it. I'm Anita. I'm Mel. And we're just two young widows trying to figure out... Widow, we do now! Mel. Well, well, well. Well, well, well. Here we are again, together at last. We are. Isn't that a song from, like, Annie? Together at last. I think you've actually sung that on this podcast. Like, two episodes ago. So apparently I need some new material. Is it from Annie, though? I have no idea. You're sp- you're supposed to be the expert. I have widow brain. Fine. Use that You could sing tomorrow, tomorrow. There you yeah, go. that's for sure from Annie. Yes. That, that okay. didn't really... It doesn't... It doesn't encapsulate well, but... the feelings of my heart that Mel was, like, squashing. <laughs> oh, you make me sound like a dream killer. <laughs> That's what you are. Jim. I am not. I'm the dream no. maker. It's true. Anybody who wears a unicorn onesie is a dream maker, not a dream killer. Who do we have with us today, Mel? This is kind of an adventure. This is an adventure because we have a topic that needs to be talked about and it's very important and not talked about. So we are so grateful that one of our listeners emailed us about said topic and we're gonna let her kind of tell her a little bit of her story about it and then we'll have some discussion later but this is our new friend 
Maureen Cassidy. Hi, Maureen. Hello. Welcome. <laughs> Where are you joining us from? Northern Wisconsin. Whoa, Wisconsin. Yeah. Land of cheese. Wisconsin. Yes. And you are a widow like us, unfortunately. Sorry about that. Yeah, it sucks. That's really all you can say. <laughs> I know, right? Um, How old are you? I am 34. <laughs> Okay, you're younger than us. I can't really remember ever. That's that's widow brain. Yeah, like time stands stills. Give us a little bit of backstory: where you're from, what you do, how you met your husband, uh, yeah, all the fun like, jazz. You, yeah. <laughs> okay, so I am actually from Southern Wisconsin. <laughs> Grew up in Southern Wisconsin. Spread your wings. I know. I really did spread my wings. I went up north. Or came up here for college, um, stayed, got a temp job just because at that time it was like right before the recession hit. So jobs really weren't vibing that well. Met my husband at work. We were both dating other people. And then you weren't dating other people. And then people we weren't anymore. dating other people anymore. Yeah. Dated for only about a year and nine months and then got married. We were married for eight years um he visibly got ill um i want to say i actually don't know because i complained because his eyes were yellowing so big topic that i want to talk about is obviously going to segue into this uh he was an alcoholic so his eyes started yellowing a little bit and all he kept on saying trick a light trick a light you know, it's just a light, oh, you know, oh, lighting in our, yeah. you know, lighting in the bathroom. It's going to make it's my eyes aren't yellow. So I'm like, okay. And he kept losing. He was losing a bunch of weight and he wasn't, you know, he wasn't working out. He lost his appetite. It's like red flag, red flag, red flag, red go flag. Go to the doctor, go to the doctor. And he, I mean, his kiss, like his half brother had just passed in September of 2018. His mom had passed away in 2012. So like, he should be going to the doctor. So, of course, he didn't go. He didn't go. I picked up his son one day to bring over to our house. And we stopped by where he worked because we obviously didn't work together anymore. And his son looked at him and said, Dad, you are yellow. And I'm like, okay. <sighs> think like someone else is saying it because obviously I'm not getting through to him. So that weekend he worked and he came home and his uh, ankles were like massive. So I'm like, you need, like, you need to go to the doctor on Monday. So he called me out. I was at work. He called me. He's like, so I'm in the emergency room. I'm like, you couldn't get into urgent care. <laughs> and that's like my first thought. He's like, no, they, they made me go to the emergency room. I'm like, okay. He was like, they're going to run a bunch of tests. So if like you could get there here and whenever I'm like okay I'll just tell my backup then leave like you do you don't think anything of it you're just like okay this is inconvenient yeah like, like, mm -hmm. I'm like I'm doing things here <laughs> like what are you doing <laughs> and it's you know a small town hospital so they can't like they can test stuff but they can't treat stuff so they uh transferred him to one of the hospitals in St. Paul they he, that's when we learned that his liver obviously wasn't functioning. His kidneys weren't functioning. But otherwise, all the other tests, he was normal. He was in, he had to go through detox, so withdrawal. So he was on, um, if you're a ridiculous, if you're a heavy drinker, might, you could seizure and die from withdrawal if you're not medicated. So he was on 
a lot of, I don't even know what he was on, but the next day. So I had to go home cause there was no one to take out my animals that day. So I went home that morning. I got a call saying, Hey, you need to come in. Michael's very confused. He doesn't know where he is, you know, all that jazz. And when I left, he was perfect. Like he was totally cognizant of everything. But I guess when you have um, this disease and things aren't, your liver isn't functioning properly, ammonia builds up in your brain and you get really confused. So they had to get ammonia out, which is a disgusting procedure I'm not going to go into. Um, Anita wants to know about it. I'm super curious. (laughs) (laughs) We can talk about it later. Yeah, I want to know. Okay, Mel wants to know too. (laughs) When he was home, he spilt it and I still can't get it out of the carpeting. Like that's how thick it is. But it just makes you go to the bathroom all the time to get the ammonia out of your system because it's like if your kidneys and if your kidneys aren't functioning your bladder's not gonna like so he couldn't pee out the ammonia he was actually laughing pretty hard because when I got there the nurse was asking him you know like what's your name you know where are you who's the president like you know stuff that people would know and when she said where are you without even skipping a beat he said Africa 1945 what <laughs> <laughs> like okay. why okay <laughs> so you know and most of the day I think because he was a huge movie buff so I think he was in movies mm. that's because he started at one point he said he was Star Lord at another <laughs> point like he was Mr. Belvedere okay wow. I like him he sounds so fun <laughs> <laughs> he, he was a very fun guy <laughs> but like so of course those things like made me laugh but and made him laugh when he was he's like no I didn't I'm like you did and at one point I was being stern with him telling him he couldn't get out of bed and he's <laughs> the nurse comes in and she's like well who's this and he's like my soon-to-be ex-girlfriend <laughs> okay <laughs> all of his levels had not normalized like they were still high but they had leveled out so they you know prescribed a bunch of medication they're like okay you're good to go home which I wasn't really okay with because like I said I don't have medical stuff he came home for a week and I was still working full time at this point. Like I was waking up at three, working till noon and then going to the hospital. Like, I feel like I've never actually caught off on sleep from this point. One day I came home from work and he was like, in hindsight, he was confused again. So the ammonia had built up, but I was just frustrated with things. Told him to take his medication. We went to bed and then I woke up and he was unresponsive. Like he was breathing, but he was not responsive to anything. So I had called 911. Thankfully, where I live, the neighborhood I live in, five EMTs live in. Wow. So no way. They were here really fast. And the ambulance, I think, took maybe 10 minutes. But, like, they were at least here, like, getting him prepped and all that stuff and gave him all the medications. And so we went back to the hospital. He was in um, the ICU three days. He was in the heart unit, which I never quite understood why he was in the heart unit, but Maybe that's just where they had a bed. Um, And then he got transferred because, of course, his liver levels, kidney, like all that, all those levels that are associated with that spiked, you know, way up. So they talked to the U of M hospital, which is the hospital that does transplants up here. And they said, can he get a consult? Like, can we transfer him over there to get a consult? He obviously was, you know, extremely ill. So usually if you're an alcoholic, you have to wait six months and be sober before you're even 
qualify to be put on the list. But the score that they use for transplants goes up to 40. Like, what did one of the surgeons say? You don't get extra credit for being over 40. <laughs> you just are like, you're dead pretty much. He was a 39 when they scored it all. And so, you know, we had to talk to social workers. We had to talk to five different surgeons. Then they meet on a committee, decide if, you know, this person is Wor- eligible, worthy, worthy for a liver. of a new, for a new organ. And, you know, of course they do like, you know, all these batteries of tests, all this stuff. He gets on the transplant list, obviously, which is a very hard concept because you're kind of wishing someone to die. That's like the hard part. And one of my friends, actually, she, she, she called me. She's like, I heard an accident about an accident on 94. I'm like, okay. And she's like, well, I don't know if there are any fatalities. And she's like, why am I wishing this? And I'm like, because that's the conundrum of trans of transplants. If you're not doing a living donor, I got a call from a surgeon on Friday saying that they had a liver and that his surgery would be scheduled for Saturday. So called the kid's mom said, Hey, I don't know if they're going to want to be there during the surgery day, but they need to see him. So they came to the hospital. I was at the hospital. He had been having dialysis. So whenever he had dialysis, he was kind of grouchy. So he was grouchy. And I was like, okay, I'm like, I'm going to go and get some sleep. And then, you know, I'll be back at 6am. I think he called me three times that night (laughs) telling me that the surgery was happening right now. I needed to get there. I'm like, no, it's happening at 11. The surgeon already told me I'll be there at six. <laughs> there is no surgery in Africa. I know. And the, God. Well, then the last time he called me, he's like, he's like, I just realized what time it was. <laughs> I'm like, just let me sleep. Please, it's going to be a long day tomorrow. So we get to the hospital. You know, he goes in. I, we get a call. We uh, So me and my stepkids' moms, it was just the three of us at the hospital. We were out to lunch. I got the call saying, hey, we got his liver out. Everything's looking great. We're going to, you know, and this was obviously hours later. I think it was like four or five hours later. You know, they're like, we're going to start transplanting. And then at like nine or 10 o'clock at night, she came in, didn't have a good face on. She's like, so he, we found out that he has necrotizing pancreatitis, which means part or all of the pancreas is dead. And she's like, I don't know how he was, like, he was transmitting all normal levels for his pancreas, all normal levels. So she's like, I don't know how that happened. She's like, I don't know how he was standing because of the pain. Like, there's an organ dead in you. Like, you shouldn't. He had a sneaky pancreas. (laughs) Be, like functioning um so you know she's like with just that issue he has a 50 50 percent chance of surviving she's like we're gonna you know we she's like we got the other liver in we just needed to get the bile ducts attached but she's like we're gonna let him be because his pancreas had started bleeding out she's like we're just gonna let it you know clean it up let it be and then we'll get back in there in a couple hours so she's like, he's going to be up in the ICU if you want to go to the ICU waiting room. Okay. So of course, then I called my, my, so my parents were in Chicago because this was over Easter weekend. 
My parents were in Chicago because I told them to go because I'm like, you know, you're just going to be bored and not, you're going to annoy me. <laughs> so go to Chicago, be with family, whatever. So I had to call them. They got in the car, started driving. They said, you know, they're like, we're going to stop at home. Then we'll drive up in the morning. So we got all of our stuff, went up to the ICU waiting room. All of a sudden I heard a cold blue. And I kind of just knew. I went into like to the main ICU part and I said, you know, I, my husband's up here. Just want to know how it's going. The surgeon comes out. She's like, well, he, he was the one that coded, but, you know, we got him stabilized. Obviously, like my, my brain was done at that point. So I don't know if another code blue happened, but she came in and he had died of shock. Technically, I mean, triple organ failure was on the death certificate, but shock. I feel like his death certificate should have said disaster. Like everything went wrong. Everything went, that could go wrong went wrong. Went wrong. Or, or, yeah, or. So I really think it should have said sneaky pancreas. Had the funeral the next week and I was back to work on Monday. Holy cow. Um. Okay. <laughs> Let's talk a little bit <laughs> about all of that. All of that. Are you okay? Yeah. I know the answer's no. When did this happen? When did he die? He died in April of 2019. Okay. So he died the day he was 30 minutes off from dying on Easter. But he probably would have gotten a kick because he died on 420. Ah! <laughs> so. <laughs> I am, am thinking really irreverent thoughts right now i know there's like so there's like hitler memes coming to mind there's (laughs) thought memes coming to mind i was just thinking that if he died on easter doesn't that mean he gets to come back and rise again (laughs) yeah that's actually what someone sent me like when i said when i sent the text being like hey he's doing good they're like oh it's the easter blessing because you know jesus rose on easter and i'm like i don't know you're like what (laughs) Okay. I don't think this has anything to do with that, but okay. I have a question. So how many people in your guys' lives knew that he was an alcoholic? Uh, a lot of people did. Obviously, his stepkids' moms did. Um, I'm sure his stepson was old enough to realize that his dad drank a lot. Um, my parents knew that he drank a lot, but I don't, like, it's not like he would come up to you and be like, hey, I'm Michael, I'm an alcoholic. Like, <laughs> yeah. You know, kind of thing. But you just, he was always open about it. Like, he never, he never, I mean, he hid the alcohol consumption, like, the extent that he was doing. Like, I always, like, I knew he drank, but I even didn't know how much he drank until I purged my apartment and found a lot of bottles. I have a question about his eyeballs. Did you did you know when you were looking at his eyeballs what that meant, or you just thought something was weird? Because you said you're not a medical person, but I knew. I'm wondering if <laughs> so you had an idea. Okay, this is really bad. This is really bad. I knew it was gonna it was jaundice because of the Scrubs <laughs> episode. Yeah, you know, so, however you get your education, like, it's fine. It is. I, I was like something. I'm like your organs aren't functioning, and for some reason, I always thought you know jaundice was a kidney. Thing, but I think it's actually a liver. I still don't like. Don't quote me thing. on that. I. It's. I think I it's a liver it was thing too. 
and that's well that's because i'm not said. a medical i can explain it to you that's what <laughs> scrubs got it wrong you and i marine are tv professionals <laughs> um TV saved, like, comedy saved me that summer. So. Oh, oh, I want yeah. all your recommendations. What what did you binge? Yeah, oh, what are... Shit's oh. Creek, about a billion yes. times. Yes! I'm stuck. I was feeling down, like, a week ago, and so now I'm on season five. <laughs> Let's watch it again. Again. So hey. I'm sure the Netflix people are like, why does she watch this show so much? Or they're like, please watch it. Yay. Maureen, I have a question, because you keep saying stepkids. So two stepkids? Yes. Two stepkids, two different moms. Two okay. different mothers. That in and of itself yep. is a web, a spider web. Was yes. your It is a totally yeah, blended Was family. your relationship pretty easy with the different moms and with the kids? Was it pretty like yes. not um, traumatic? Yeah, we actually um my stepson's mom is actually my best friend now, obviously. It I mean, both of them, it took a while. Like, as I'm not going to say it was all, you know, sunshine and roses. From the get-go. Yeah. Right away. But, like, it just, it developed to, like, we had really good relationships. And that, I think, was one of the reasons, too, why he was, he qualified for the transplant. Because the support system of the three of us. And obviously, at by this time, his kids knew why he was in the, like, what the causes were How for old the are his kids? Hospital. Um, now, yeah. Oh gosh, don't tell, ask me that. Now <laughs> they're one, big one, yeah. <laughs> now they're eighteen and thirteen. Okay. okay. So, sixteen, so like sixteen and eleven. Sixteen and eleven, I think. Yeah. Boys, girls. You said one was a uh, boy and a girl. What we want to go into talking about next is what the stigma is of alcoholism oh, and yes. the messiness of that and the shame that the family members and maybe the people while they're alive feel because we have, we've only had a couple of times on the, the podcast, these sorts of topics. And every time we get really good interaction and there are a lot of people that really want to talk about this, want to hear about it, but it's so tricky. And we are so glad that you reached out and are willing to talk about it. So Let's talk about it. <laughs> talk about alcoholism. Such a fun topic. Um, yeah, it just like I feel like I mean, there is such a stigma with alcoholism, addiction of any kind. Um, but it's like people think it's a character flaw. Like that's it. Just a character flaw. And it's not. It is at, like it's a disease. And it's a disease with very dire consequences emotionally, physically, obviously socially like in all of it um and it doesn't detract away it doesn't detract from them being a good person have you been hesitant to share your story or the details of your story with some people because of the stigma of alcoholism actually no i've been because michael was so upfront with like his entire history like you know he didn't have the best past and he was always very upfront about everything, like anything, because he also didn't want his kids to make the same mistakes he did. So he was always very open about that stuff. And so I kind of played off his book because I really am not a big sharer of anything. Like, I don't really like talking. I'd rather listen to other people talk. And, and here uh, you are talking. And here I am <laughs> talking. So it's like way outside my comfort zone. Um, but... 
I'm trying to take, you know, a page out of his book and, you know, kind of just because he died of alcoholism, it's not, you know, a lot of people going to be like, well, he did it to himself. Like why? Or, you know, how did you not know he was drinking so much? Like, you know, those kind of things. There's more blame and more. Yeah. Like less empathy about it. I mean, and I did get some blame from different people being like, well, how, you know, why didn't you stop? Why didn't you make him? Why didn't you stop him? And it's like, um, he's the only one that could have gotten help. (laughs) Like I could have forced him into rehab. He wouldn't have done like it wouldn't have worked if he didn't want it to work. It wouldn't have worked. Can we also talk about how brilliant a lot of addicts are? They, they Mm -hmm. know how to get around stuff. They know how to hide. It's not that they're terrible people at all. It's like they're hurting, they're sensitive people and they just want to feel better. Yeah. And that, I mean, that's unfortunately that's their, that was what they found to help them. Would he have called himself an alcoholic or did he, did he admit to that or say that out loud? Yeah, well, or was he like, me. I just drink, or was he like, no, no I have a problem? No, he knew, he okay. knew he had a problem. Did he ever? He very much. Did know. he ever seek help, or did he ever make, you know, like resolutions or you know goals? Before I dated him, he had been to rehab twice. Um, and actually, when I dated him the first year, he was sober for the s- six months, and he was actually an outpatient. And I actually went to the the family outpatient um, information sessions just so that I knew. So I actually knew like from the get go of dating him that he had addiction, like addiction issues. That's great. He was transparent with you. Yeah. But then not great that he died, but, but awful that he died and stupid. Cause yeah. Boo disease. It's stupid. Yeah. But I mean, sometimes he was a little too transparent about mm. things like that. <laughs> Keep some keep, things to yourself. Keep some stuff in. We don't need to know about this. This is a question that you can tell me is not okay or not. Do you, was he, was he married to the two moms or was he just in a relationship with the other? He was just in relationships with them. Do you think that his alcoholism was a cause of those relationships not working out? Yes, very much so. They were exactly the reason why those relationships did not work out. So. How old was he when he died? 37. That's so young. Oh, that's heartbreaking. Did you have to seek any help like Al-Anon or anything like that to help you or tell us about that? I did not. Um, I, like I said, I'm not much of a share. <laughs> so um, I didn't go to any place. Like I would, like I said, I'm very good. I'm friends with both of my stepkids' moms. So like we would talk about it. So like they were kind of my support group because, you know, they obviously knew him too. They were in a relationship with him, but I never sought help. I mean, I tried to, I kind of sought help after he died, but realized, I don't know if I just jumped into it too fast, but I just didn't like it. I think because at that stage, I was in that really angry, (laughs) angry at a lot of people and I didn't like feeling that way. So I just stop I like I didn't go and I actually like a group grief I did find a group grief counseling thing that the woman that did Michael's funeral ran so like I at least I knew her and she you know she knew his story so like that helped more because I could listen to people's stories (laughs) not talking the entire time 
But like while he was alive, no, I didn't. What are some things that we need to talk about to help people with this? Because this is a big deal. It is a huge topic. And I think it just kind of starts with, I don't, I mean, obviously I can't say much for any other country, but the United States has a huge, is a huge drinking culture. I mean, you can't go anywhere without seeing alcohol or an ad or whatever. And I'm not saying that I'm a teetotaler. I, you know, I'll go out and have a beer or wine. That's funny because Mel and I both are. So. <laughs> so we have like no expertise in this at all. But I do understand the pressure of these situations because I'm a musician. Of of course, you know, it's in the culture, musician culture too. And, and it's interesting because now at the age I am, a lot of people have had their time with alcohol and they have binged or they have like figured out if they want to just do stuff in moderation or maybe they figured out that they don't like it. And so now at 38, I'm way more comfortable. But when I was, you know, in my 20s and all the way up until, you know, early 30s, it's like there was so much pressure. It's like, just try some. And I'm like, why? I don't you don't like zucchini. I don't bother you. <laughs> Shoving zucchinis, zucchinis at you. <laughs> Stop it. So, yeah, I totally get the pressure and it's uncomfortable. Or I knew I knew if I said to some people, oh, no, I'm I have my two-year chip, even though that would be a lie. And that's like, I, ne I never said that because I do have friends that are recovering alcoholics and I, you know, I would feel so bad and that's a lie, <laughs> you know. And but even if you say like you don't drink, they'll be like, oh, are you an alcohol? Like, are you an right. alcoholic? And, and it's like, no. Why, why does it have to get to the point where people get res give respect to those who have gone through the alcoholism journey and have almost died and have put so much grit into their recovery. It is so hard. I mean, some of the strongest people I know, like not to like be like, you're so yep. strong, but you guys know yep. what I mean. Oh, yeah. But some of those people that are just, they're these powerhouses of humans and they've come through the other side and they still will tell you every single day. It's a struggle. I have to be on top yeah. of this. And so it's like, why does it have to get to the point of now, now you found out you are an addict and now the other people that are in drinking culture, like respect that. Why can't we just be respectful? Um, and I, you know, of course that comes with age and maturity, but yeah, I, I know, I know what you're talking about yeah. with the drinking culture. Well, and it, and it is like, you know, cause I also live in Wisconsin, which we have 12 of the drunkest cities in the country. So <laughs> yeah. I mean, Wisconsin's a huge, huge drinking state. Um, so, and I, I grew up near Madison. So like I was, you know, college and, and cheese though. And cheese. cheese. And cheese. <laughs> Beer and cheese. That's Can you be a cheese addict? I think so. Like, do we need to be worried? I feel like you could be. I mean, I have cheese every day, so and I feel bad if I don't have cheese. Do you feel like you're, you're <laughs> Do you need to have more and more cheese though? Oh, no, I don't. Same feeling. Okay. I I just if you don't have cheese. cheese, do you feel like you're disgracing your Wisconsin ancestors if you don't have kind of and actually my <laughs> I give my dog a little bit like he knows the cheese wrapper he will be mm, like you know a hundred yards away if he hears that crinkle he's next to me in like two seconds <laughs> so, that's so funny yeah so he's a little cheese head too I live in a, a kind of a sub city um we're under a town but we're a different township it's a weird thing but there's three thousand people in this town we have five bars in a three thousand person town one church three bars <laughs> <laughs> like 
That's super opposite of us. <laughs> Is it because it's so cold? Right. Yeah, that, yeah you got to warm up. And, and I know he would try to explain it to me. He's like, I wish you could just be in my brain for five minutes. Because you really can't. Like, you go bowling. There's a bar. You go, like, you go to the zoo. There's alcohol. You go, like, anywhere you go, it's in your face. And, you know, like, I could, <laughs> I could say I'm addicted to reading. But there aren't books everywhere that are being shoved in my face. And I also don't sometimes avoid contact with other people so I can read, <laughs> but which I do sometimes. Well, it's not something but that it deteriorates. It doesn't kill your kidneys. No, it does not. Yeah. So, I just, you know. It just decreases the amount much. of cheese you can buy because yes, you right? forget to go to work. Um, so. But it's ju- like, I don't know. It just, with this drinking culture, I think there also needs to be an uptick because obviously like binge drinking is so on the rise. And they've been, you know, they've been saying that not even college students, which yes, college students, that's like the main culprit, but even, you know, people my age, people older, they might not drink during the week, but then they're like, Hey, let's get slammed on Saturday and drink. Cause binge drinking is five or more beer or beers, five or more drinks in one night. So you could easily like every Saturday binge drink. And that's, Sometimes they say it's even worse than having a drink a day is doing the binge drinking because you're, you know, your system is shocked by all the alcohol and then all of a sudden you're not giving it any for four or five days and then giving it a bunch again. And then it's extreme. Yeah. Yeah, I actually had a friend back in college. She would, you know, we'd go out and she'd get pretty hammered (laughs) and the next day she would drink detox tea thinking it would help. So, like, it's, you know, it just... The detox tea is called your liver. Yeah. That's 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 the problem. It's trying to help you, but but I think just with, like, the uptick with... And even with, you know, COVID, because of the quarantine, there's been an uptick with people drinking because what else is there to do? But, and I just, I think there just needs to be more education out there that, you know, alcoholism is a very real thing. It affects not just that person, and no, it is not a character flaw. It doesn't make you a bad person if you're addicted to something. It just, it is what it is. It means you have this disease that you need to get help for, um, and you want you you need to want to get the help because if someone just shoves you into rehab, you could say all the right things to the therapist, get out, and then have you know go straight to the bar. And even like, I was trying to think back to like high school and, you know, even like fifth grade with the, I don't know if you guys have the dare program or if it's even still a thing. I don't yeah, know, it is. but you <laughs> know, at least. they talk like they make addicts and alcoholics seem like these extremely bad people. Like these are villains like that criminals. you, you need yeah. to, yeah. Like you need to just stay away from like, they're not actual people. And then like any, any, disease if you just look at a statistic you're they're not going to they're not real people in any way so you know you can any statistic you don't see the actual person so i think or it, or the repercussions you just see that statistic and you don't see how it popcorns out to you and their kids you and, know you, you know. don't think about you know if you're going out on the town you don't think about Hey, what I'm doing to my body. And I'm, you know, like I said, I still, I drink wine and I drink beer. I stay away from hard alcohol just because 
that's what he drank and it disgusts me like the smell makes me grow like throw up but like I'll still you know I'll still go out with friends but just seeing people plastered I'm just I just want to be like you don't even know what this like ramifications of what you're doing and like and I know and even I mean and I'll even say I probably drank way too much the summer he died and I knew the consequences they were very fresh but that was like one of my strong pull one of my coping mechanisms that I'm like I don't want to feel anything and so I can I get like the not wanting to feel like if you have really bad memories that you don't want to I can see the pull to it but or then if you have religion in your community where it's like don't drink like in Utah that's really prevalent then you have a high case of prescription drug abuse you find to help mask the same thing yeah so so many things are these emotional issues and it's so sad and even I like I figured because you know because I was drinking a little too much that summer that he like the summer after he had died I slept horribly I mean I slept horribly anyway but I slept horribly guess what affects your sleep alcohol (laughs) Alcohol, because you can never get into a deep or rim sleep with alcohol so cut that out and hey guess what I started sleeping again do you think going back to drinking culture do you your husband was so young when he died do you think that a lot of people kind of think of their youth as you know, their 20s and their 30s is like, I can do whatever I want. You know, I will, my body will be fine no matter what I do until I get older. And then maybe I will need to. Yeah. Then to maybe slow like 50 stop. or 60, then yeah. I'll have to start thinking about. Yeah. I think that is where like people, you know, younger, and I'm not saying I'm old, but like younger people, they think they're invincible and that they're going to live forever. And that's just not the case. <laughs> And their body can can deal with it, and they'll yeah. they'll figure out what needs to happen later. I mean, yeah. And I mean, there are there are alcoholics that live until they're ninety. Oh yeah. But then there are you know alcoholics that die when they're thirty seven or even earlier. Um, yeah. And I'm not you know like I'm not even talk about the DUI cult. You know like that kills yeah. how many more people? Um, that's that's really tragic. So much too. Yeah, that and... was a terrible way to say that. That's tragic so much. <laughs> so much. <laughs> I have a I have a question about um his family. Did he have any history of alcoholism? His father is an addict. Um is a drug addict. I just find it so interesting that some people can can, you know, tiptoe up to the line and not get stuck in that addiction cycle, but for some people they can't, you know, and he he tried you know, he did the things and it still, he just, it just pulled him in. And that, that lends itself to that idea of it being a disease and not a character failure because it's not like he was just like, Oh yeah. Okay. Whatever. Yeah. Oh, you I'm know. bored. I'm just going to, I'm bored with my life. I'm just going to drink it away. Like it's not what he was doing. And it wasn't like for, it wasn't like he was going out either. Like and having, you know, like it's not an excuse going out and having fun. But, like, it wasn't like he was drinking to socialize. He was doing it in, you know, the living, not really the living room, more one of the bedrooms. He would just, you know, watch Game of Thrones or, (laughs) 
you know, like, cause I didn't like that show. So he would watch it himself and sit by himself. And... Okay. I have a, I have a hair, heavy duty question okay. for you. When death is related to something that is associated with shame, oftentimes we feel that shame. And so we don't talk about it. Mm-hmm. There's like the public version of how they died and the private version of how they died, which is protective for yourself. Right. And you're trying to protect the memory of your loved one because that stigma goes right along with it. Like if he was a drinker, he was a bad person, right? They forget about the sense of humor and the work ethic and the, you know, great dad or the whatever that person had to offer. And the only thing they're labeled as, as alcoholic or addict. But do you think that not being open about it perpetuates the drinking culture or at least some of those issues or the myth that they are bad people shame is such a is that too strong of a word i don't like and i was i was actually trying to figure out what word to to get the idea across but i think people don't want to say anything about alcohol like that that was a contributing factor in the death because it's i mean because it to our society that is shameful and it shouldn't be. I mean, it's just, I mean, unfortunately it is what it is at this point, but. But do you think that if more people were open about it, it would lose some of that shame factor? Because shame, you know, one of my favorite, I don't even know if this is a quote, but that shame can't live in the sunlight. So like if you're open about it and if you're just like, no, he died, he was an alcoholic and these are all of the great things about him. And, you know, we need to do better as a society. Then it's, it loses its stigma a little bit. If, if a lot of people did that. It's like the both the both and, you yeah. know? Where it's like, it's not either or. Yeah, he was an alcoholic, but therefore he's a bad person. Yep. It's like, yeah, he was an alcoholic. And a good and person. He yeah, like guy. he was a good person. I wouldn't have been like, married to him if he was a bad person. Yeah. Like our friend Laurel, if you've listened to Laurel's podcast episode, same thing. It's like these two these two things she was you know, living with. And, and the other thing too, it's like alcoholism is so tricky because there's often, not every time, but there's often domestic abuse Mm -hmm. and violence in there. And that's a whole other thing. And it, yeah, it's such a sticky and tricky subject. I see why it's not talked about. It is. I mean, it is a very, and you know, any, you can't say you had a perfect marriage. Well, I mean, you you really can't say you had a perfect marriage if you are married to an alcoholic you really can't like there you know there are times you have to tiptoe across uh, you know tiptoe around them or really make sure you're not going to say something that they somehow in their mind take out of context and then you get into this huge bone fight so you can't it's like a chess game in your head it is and it i mean it's extremely stressful and actually my sounds exhausting it is <laughs> my doctor when i went for my physical after he died she actually I don't think anyone else would ever ask me this question. She said, do you actually feel any relief that like, you don't have to deal with that anymore? And I said, well, I'm not like my blood pressure is not as high anymore. So like, yes, I would love, you know, I'm very, very upset that he's not here anymore. But at the same time, there is like that tiny sense of relief that you don't have to deal with that stress of coming home and not knowing 
who your husband like who he's gonna if like he's if the alcoholic's gonna be home or if the or if the the loving normal not alcohol imbibing person personally he was not an angry drunk he was a sentimental one Aww. <laughs> Aww. <laughs> he's cuddly he, he we always joked that i was actually the husband and he was the wife <gasps> mel did too because you marine we have so many things in common <laughs> Because I'm like so, I don't like emotions. Just stop. And he yeah. was, you know, always like, "Well, why don't we want to talk? Why don't you want to talk about it?" Just no. Just leave me alone. I said what I said. Just leave me alone now. Yeah. But even if he was, even if he was a sentimental drunk, like alcohol has the effect of, you know, decreasing your inhibitions and changing your frontal lobe and how you reason and think. And so it's, again, that's not a character judgment. It's like a, it's like a drug. So it does things to your body that you don't get to. Just how it is. That you don't get to choose. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know. I think, and there, like, like I said before, there's the shame of, well, how do you know he, like, how did you not know he was drinking as much? So there's that blame on the widow or widower being like, you know, being like, well, you could have done something about this earlier. He would still be, you know, he would still be here if you did something. If you would have been better. Yeah. You should have yeah. done something different. What what was I going to do? Like, be at his side 24-7? Like, I can't. That wouldn't be a way to live. And, and even if you are, that's called, like, very fast. that's called, like, kidnapping. So you can't do that either. Yeah. <laughs> like, lock him in a closet. I'm not. Yeah, I'm not. Like, I'm not going to put him in this bubble and then keep track of him every all the time like I you that wouldn't be beneficial to either of us it's just and like I said when I was purging my apartment there were places I wouldn't even think to look and I was finding things I think because I cleaned out my got rid of some cars I had three cars (laughs) I only need one got rid of two of the cars and I found a bunch of bottles in the garage like just recently all the hiding places they were everywhere like my mom found some when she was like when she was up here helping me after um well actually during when he was hospitalized she was up here and she is a cleaning nut (laughs) and she will listen to this and she completely agrees she's a cleaning nut so um you know she she found a bunch of bottles too so like it just I think there is like they might and like I said I'm not I don't know what's in their minds but I think there's some shame that they kind of know that it's quote-unquote shameful and it's I mean it's not it's not but I think he you know they they want to shield their loved ones from what they're actually doing on the website drugabuse.gov there's a paragraph in here and it says Stigma on the part of healthcare providers who tacitly see a patient's drug or alcohol problem as their own fault leads to substandard care or even to rejecting individuals seeking treatment. People showing signs of acute intoxication or withdrawal symptoms are sometimes expelled from emergency rooms by staff fearful of their behavior or assuming they are only seeking drugs. People with addiction internalize the stigma, feeling shame, and refusing to seek treatment as a result. What do you think of that? That is perfect. That I think is perfect. Because even when he was when he was out of the hospital, the the doctors there said he like you need to right away start looking for an in, like cuz we both wanted him to go to inpatient treatment 
Cause I'm like, I'm not a medical professional. I can't like, I want him somewhere that if there's, if something goes wrong, someone can help. So we went to the local hospital for, cause they have to get that first step in. And the guy, I'm still so extremely mad about this. The guy said, because, and I quote, he hadn't drank in two weeks. He should be an outpatient. And I'm like, he hasn't drank in two weeks because he's been in the hospital. It's been impossible. <laughs> he, he hasn't, it's not, he, how, where would he get the alcohol in the hospital? No one's going to give it to him. Like, so I think that's probably one of my more, more angry moments of the medical profession. <laughs> it's also like, there's so much uh, talk about bedside manner anyway, in the medical world where in the mental health field and this drug abuse uh, category, it is even more important. It like the reach research is finding because it's like, for example, on the site, it just says it's crucial that people across healthcare from staff in emergency departments to physicians, nurses, and PAs will be trained in caring compassionately and competently. So it's like the competence and the compassion needs to be there. And with dignity, because, I mean, I can see why it would be easy to treat somebody not with dignity, not with compassion. And and from certain people's experiences, like maybe they are so sick of dealing with alcoholics because maybe they have personal experience. And so they just can't even anymore. Yeah. But I, it, it's so the lines are so blurry and I totally get why. But it's just such a tricky subject. I know that um, there have been times where I've had to take someone to the emergency room. And even just the person at the emergency room desk mm-hmm. was so mean and very cold. Uh, and, and it's like, we got, you get past that. And sometimes your care is amazing, but it's like yeah. it's every single step of the process to try to get people help, they need some special training on it. So Anita, do you have training on this? Well, I was just going to say, I have the answer. And the answer is that all hospitals need to be like scrubs. And then mm-hmm. it's all fixed. Oh yeah, <laughs> they, yeah. They there was actually need to watch TV. I was I was watching Scrubs um, a few months ago, and I was I actually I listened to their podcast sometimes too. And um, there was one where they were talking about a liver transplant with an alcoholic, and Doctor Cox. They asked, you know, they asked him, which I'm like, um, no, a general surgeon is not going to go through a transplant. <laughs> <laughs> with them that's the problem that's with all field. that's the problem with all tv hospital shows it's I like know. the emergency room doctor is also doing heart transplants yeah they're confused I'm like, no that doesn't work yeah, doesn't matter <laughs> it doesn't work out that way but he, so he he was like you know quite, like friendly with this patient and turk came in and said he had a sip of champagne at his do- at his daughter's wedding no he can't get the liver and I actually read um, a book, it's called From Death to Life, which is written by a transplant surgeon from Madison. And he actually, there's a whole chapter about the ethic, like ethics of transplants. And that's one of the things he talks to his students about is, you know, like, raise your hand if you think alcoholics deserve a liver. Raise your hand if they should get a liver if they're two years sober. It was people would not raise their hands if you just said, do alcoholics deserve a liver? So no one would raise their hand. Um, then if they're, you know, however meant sober, more people would, you know, more people would raise their hands and then he would get to the point. What if the person was so sick 
that you he wouldn't they wouldn't be alive in six months and then like he's like the look on the student's face like the kids faces like because they're you know they're realizing they're real people they're not just they're yeah they need this well, it's helpful when they're group. humanized transplant ethics yeah. is super a sticky wicket because you know there's like an yeah. ordering and there's a it's like you could go in on that for a long time i know there are discussions about in healthcare, like it's part of the vicious cycle they call it and it can contribute to homelessness because they just continually feel rejected now of course you didn't deal with homelessness but you are familiar with with certain specific issues related to alcoholism and and it's so important, I think, for us to realize that the brain's susceptibility to this disease, there are so many factors that are not even in their control, the individual's control, like genetics, the environment, where they're born and raised, what situationally is happening. So a coping mechanism, if they see, you know, if they see another parent, that's how they cope. They're not seeing good coping mechanisms. And that's, I think, too, like... That's that would usually be when Michael would kind of like would like go off the deep end after being pretty good. It'd be a situation, you know, a death in the family or just any kind of family drama, like just something would trigger him and he just spiral right back down to, you know, the pretty heavy drinking and me being upset, <laughs> which probably made him drink Feeling More. feelings is hard. <laughs> it yes, is. it is. Are you kind of now on a mission to help people with awareness of this stuff? You don't like sharing a lot of stuff, but now this has happened. Where are you at personally? I, so I kind of, like I kind of said in my email, I got a little like internally heated this past weekend that like this isn't a topic that need, that should be swept under the rug. Like more people need to talk about it because I don't want what happened to my family and my husband to happen to anyone else because it is horrendous any death is horrendous and any sicknesses but this is just another sickness and another death like it's not different from anything else it just it, i don't like the phrase it is what it is but like but there's like no other phrase is, right? there's no other yeah. phrase to say it like that it just it is what it is it's how it is and you know unfortunately that's just how our culture is and you know they 10, 20 years ago, if you grieve, you know, longer than your year, people would, you'd be stigmatized as, you know, be and like people didn't even want to talk about grief until, you know, pretty recently, it seems that like no one really wanted to talk about it. But now people are starting to talk about it because there's a lot of grief in the world. I mean, there always has been, but there's a lot of grief in the world. And if people can open up about that, they can, they need to, we need to start opening up about everything else that might be quote unquote shameful or taboo. Like we need to talk about this stuff because they won't become untaboo. I don't know what the word is. Like they won't, they, it won't become normalized. Normalized. Thank you. It won't become normalized until we normalize it and we talk about it. And then maybe, you know, what happened to Michael won't happen to the next person. I love that you were willing to come and share this story and hopefully maybe be an example or maybe not an example, but somebody who opens the door. A beacon of hope. A beacon of hope on a hill. 
And, you know, for some people, it, it might not, they might not be willing to be open about that. But I think the more people who are open about it, I think the less, the less stigmatized it will become. Let's say hypothetically, you decided one day that you wanted to date again. What if that person drank, but was responsible about it, but also maybe from time to time had some of the hard alcohols that give you um, I Could you handle it? I, I actually, I've thought about this before. I don't know if I'd ever date or marry another alcoholic. Like I, that, I just, I don't know if I can deal with, like deal with that again. I actually, <laughs> I was talking to a friend and I said, I, I, at this moment in time, I don't want to be with anyone because they might get sick. I actually said one of my, one of my deal breakers for anyone is if someone drank vodka in anything, that'd be an absolute no for me. Kudos to you, like Anita said, for coming to talk to us about this and for reaching out. We, we love talking about, about, of course, thank you so much for sharing. And you're in our widow wives club too, right? Yes. Yep. Guys, Marina's in there. So you can talk to her there if you want or if you don't want, unless she doesn't want to. I don't know. <laughs> I can Maybe not. share, I, but I might not write you back right away. In the club because, you know, somebody kind of was like, my husband died as a result of alcoholism. You know, I don't know mm-hmm. if anybody else. And it was like people poured out of the woodwork. Yeah. It was like, oh, yeah, we got that here, guys. Cheese. Go. Jeez. What's your favorite? Oh God. <laughs> Do I have to, can I list my my top ten? Whoa. Whoa. <laughs> yeah. You have you <laughs> get an exception. <laughs> I mean, I can't. I I do. I eat a lot of feta and goat cheese just because I like them. But smoked gouda, I love. This is going to be anti Wisconsin, but sharp cheddar cheese from New York <laughs> is <laughs> like extra sharp from New York. cheddar cheese from New York is like amazing. They have cows with with a Brooklyn accent. Right. They're just That's sharper anyway. The only cheese I do not like is Swiss cheese. But I can I can see that. Thank you so much for joining us, Maureen. It's been great to chat with you. And thanks for reaching out, too. We love it when people reach out. Rem- remember to check out the Widow Wives Club. Answer all the questions. Don't be a crazy stalker person. And um, also... Don't be a Nigerian prince. I know, unless you're a real Nigerian prince. Then give us your money. <laughs> also remember to check out our patreon it's www.patreon.com slash wwdn if you want to buy us tacos go to buymeacoffee.com slash what do we do now and until next time i'm anita i'm mel marine and we're just two young widows and a beacon of light set upon a hill (laughs) and we're trying to figure out widow we do now This is my favorite thing to discuss with you. Tell me, what is it? One of my favorite things. I do enjoy tacos and cheese and dogs. This is about how you cannot pay hundreds and hundreds of dollars for a phone plan, especially when you're a widow, your person is dead, you might have kids, you might need another option, and you just want your phone to work, you want unlimited texting and service, and you want it to be like 25 bucks a month. It blows my mind that they have plans that start at $15 a month. That is so cheap. And the cool thing is, is it uses other 5G networks. And so you don't have to pay extra for that. And you still get great service. Yep. Anita and I have traveled 
all over and I have used my phone. So I highly recommend it. And my mom's even on it. When my dad died, we put his phone down to the cheapest plan, which is $15 a month. And I think my mom's on the $20 a month plan and it's so worth it. It's so much cheaper than what we were all paying before. So I highly recommend it if you're on a budget or not, who cares? Ryan Reynolds is in charge of the company and they send you free stickers with Ryan Reynolds temporary tattoos. It's kind of the best. So if somebody wants to sign up, what can they do, Anita? Go to trymintmobile.com slash WWDN. Seriously, you guys, such a great idea. Save yourself some money. And if you're worried about losing data or having any changes with your phone, not going to happen. They walk you through it. Everything's fine. It's the easiest process of all time. Again, that's trymintmobile.com slash WWDN.